0: Hi, this is Steve Poor, and you're listening to Pioneers and Pathfinders. Today, we're joined by Tom Mark, founder and CEO of Lawdroid, a company using artificial intelligence and automation techniques to help lawyers be more productive. Inspired by his early experiences as a legal assistant, Tom entered the legal profession with a strong commitment to efficiency and technology. While working as a lawyer at a top talent agency, he learned the basics of building a business, ultimately leading him to pursue entrepreneurship. He would go on to start Foresight Legal Group PC, a law firm that was an early adopter of document automation, which made legal services more affordable for clients. Tom then co-founded Law Deal, a company that was ahead of its time in offering clients flat fee packages for legal work. He later co-founded LawDroid after realizing the potential for chatbots to change the delivery of legal services. In January, the company launched Copilot, an AI legal assistant that advances productivity even further by helping lawyers with research, summarization, grammar review, and drafting. Additionally, Tom is co-founder of American Legal Technology, which awards legal professionals and organizations for their accomplishments in creative innovation and technology. Tom has also been named an ABA legal rebel and a FastCase 50 honoree. In our conversation, Tom tells us about his lifelong love for technology, the shortcomings of ChatGPT, his exciting work at LawDroid, and coming up with the Oscars of legal innovation. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Hi, Tom. How are you? It's nice to meet you, and thanks for making the time to talk to me today.
1: I'm doing pretty well, Stephen. Great to meet you, and I I look forward to uh, talking
0: Yeah. So let's start by talking about how a philosophy major from Yale became a a legal rebel and fast case 50 honoree and has done all the incredible things you've done.
1: Let's start by what took you to law school? Well, I think it all goes back to my parents. You know, my parents were very loving and supportive and got me involved early with reading and with technology. Actually, my mom was working at Cal State L.A., and I got to play around with an Apple II. Oh, you were one of the lucky ones. Yeah, I I must have only been around six years old at the time because it was preschool that I was going to. (laughs) But um, a friend of my mom's who worked in the uh, AV department had an Apple II that he was extremely proud of, and I got to play around with it.
0: That's awesome. So you started earlier, earlier than most
1: folks. Yeah, so that's how the love of technology came to be. And I've been hooked ever since. So when I got the philosophy degree and then I'm wondering, what do I do with that? (laughs) (laughs) I thought a practical application of philosophy is, um, is the law. So I got into that and then, you know, melded together the love of, uh, technology with the practice of law.
0: So you, you talk about having practiced right out of law school and being frustrated with the demands on people's time. Tell us a little bit about that part of your journey.
1: Sure. I think, um, I think the story you're referring to is I took a gap year actually between college and law school, and I went to work for an old school lawyer. He went to Harvard. He had, I think, one client, which was a major petroleum company, and he had a pretty good life set up. He uh, had a driver that <laughs> drove him around in his Lincoln Town car. <laughs> it's like a Connolly book. Yeah. He would go have uh, lunch every day with his wife at this boutique restaurant in, uh, in uh, Midwilshire in Los Angeles. And I was not his legal assistant. I was his aide de comp. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And we would go through uh, drafts of letters. He would want me to write for him where he would dictate. And I would sit there taking it down with a pencil and then he would correct it with a red pencil and we would go back and forth like that. Oh,
0: those were the days, weren't they?
1: (laughs) Yeah. So very like first person uh, lived experience of what I don't want to do. Like the, you know, the, the counter example to how I wanted to practice. And so that didn't dissuade you from going to law school. <laughs> You're right. Maybe for an ordinary uh, person, it should have dissuaded them, but I, I was too hard headed, So I kept on.
0: There you go. And what did you do right out of law school?
1: So I think unlike maybe a lot of attorneys, um, I've had very varied experience. You know, it has not been a straight line for me. It's been all over the place. And so directly out of law school, I actually went to work in the entertainment business. And um, I was Los Angeles, UCLA Law School. I got drawn in. I can understand the (laughs) lure. Right. So um, I I had the pleasure of working at one of the top talent agencies, United Talent Agency. And uh, my boss then is now the CEO. And he he taught me a, a lot in terms of, you know, real world life lessons about business and about relationships and about, you know, the things that really matter in terms of building a business and what that's really about. So I took those lessons and then applied it to my own practice when I launched that in 2006.
0: And when you launched your own practice, what was unique about
1: that? Well, when I got to hang out my own shingle and I had my own practice, then I... This is Foresight Legal, right? Correct. So when I launched my own firm, Foresight Legal Group, in um, 2006, I didn't have to abide by anybody else's rules. I can make my own. And so that love of technology with the practice of law is able to directly put those two together and put them into practice, so that you know we could really leverage the tools that were available to make us more productive and to actually be better at our jobs.
0: 2006 doesn't seem so long ago to me, but it's uh, in the world of legal tech, it's 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 a lifetime. Uh, what type of tools were you
1: using at the time? So at the time we were using document automation. Hot Docs actually was a little too pricey for me at the time. So So, uh, I I found a vendor that was based out of, I think it was Australia, or at least they started in Australia, Express Docs. And it was a very similar product, but not with the same price tag. And I I started using them and created multiple templates to use on their system. And um, we were one of the first law firms to work with LegalZoom. At the time, LegalZoom was looking to broaden beyond its online products. And we were handling prenups in California and then we expanded to national coverage where I had almost two dozen uh, lawyers working with me where LegalZoom was marketing, you know, on their website that there's this prenup service, but the service side was actually handled by my, my law firm and I coordinated the work of all of these lawyers. We used the express Doc system to make it possible to do it at an affordable price point.
0: You know, the document automation is for another day, but the document automation journey is, is one that's always interested me because it's technology that's been around for a long time. And yet the, you, you had to be one of the early adopters of it because it's had its up and downs in terms of adoption by lawyers.
1: Well, I got to give props to uh, people like Richard Granite, who went before me and, uh, you know, he had his own virtual law firm providing family law services so I, you know, I, I definitely had people that I learned from.
0: So you, um, you've also now founded and run a couple of tech companies, startups. You started with Law Deal.
1: <laughs> you've done your, you've done your research.
0: I have done my research. You know, what What was Law Deal, and what was the genesis of that?
1: Yeah. So Law Deal was way too early. <laughs> um, As sometimes good ideas are. Yeah. Law Deal was around 2011, 2012 ish, around there and that naturally came from the relationship that I had grown with uh, Alan Rodriguez. Alan was working at LegalZoom, so because of my relationship with LegalZoom, I got to know him better. It just so happens that we're both LA boys, we're both from uh, East LA, and um, although I'd never met him prior to that, he's a great guy and he has a lot of great, you know, intelligent ideas and he's doing it for the right reasons. So we thought we'd put together this offering where it would connect consumers with lawyers, but the difference was because that already existed, is that we were putting together packages, kind of flat fee packages, where people could go on to it, kind of like, like a marketplace, and they could choose a flat fee divorce as a package for a flat fee, and it would say what you get, what you don't get, and it would be provided by several different lawyers, each one of which provides different terms, and the consumers could pick which one they wanted. So it was a virtual marketplace of legal services offered at flat fees, and uh, like I said, it was uh, ahead of its time.
0: Well, as I said, great ideas sometimes sometimes are. It's uh, a little easier to launch these days than to launch then. But that must have led you to Droid.
1: That's right. So uh, I'd been bit by the entrepreneurial bug, I think, back when I worked at the talent agency, just from seeing how you can make these things come to life on your own, just with you know your own perseverance and enthusiasm about things, and then knowing a little bit about how business works. So um, in 2016, I think, yeah, it was 2016, Early in the year, I'd read an article about uh, Joshua Browder and Joshua Browder at the time was he just had this uh, chatbot in London where he was a student and he was trying to help people get out of parking tickets.
0: Right. This is the do not pay guy.
1: Yeah, do not pay. And uh, it got picked up in the news. And this sounds unbelievable. But when I, when I read that about chatbots and about providing legal information in an automated way, it literally made the, the hair stand up <laughs> because I just really sensed opportunity. This is something special. Uh, we've been able to automate documents, but to also be able to automate the provision of information and then combine those two things seemed like a quantum leap. And so I wanted in and I learned a lot about chatbots. I created my first one, which was, I got to debut at uh, Stanford Law School at Codex later that year, which was basically a chatbot that helped people set up a corporation easily in California. And uh, California at the time was still on a paper-based system. (laughs) Of course. Even though we, you know, the heart of Silicon Valley is in California, it was still paper-based. So I created a very short interview where it picked up about five different answers to questions, auto-filled the form, and then they just printed it out, sent it in. Yeah, that was our innovation at the time. But since then, multiple different projects with legal aid organizations across the country. And then we developed our own platform.
0: Tell me a little bit about the underlying technology, because at the time you started in 2016, we're not talking about ChatGPT technology at the time. We're talking about a much simpler
1: technology.
0: What type of technology undergird the uh, product then and sort of what, what challenges were you facing in using it?
1: So th- this was seven years ago, and when we started in, at a high level, it was, you know, buttons for choosing your own adventure, like which direction you wanted to take the conversation. At best, we had conditional logic, but over the years it evolved so that we added on to that a layer of um, natural language processing. We leveraged Dialogflow at first to do that, and so we were integrating with our API. And so that's an intent-based system that uses natural language processing to match a question that the user puts in with a certain you know, intent on in the back. So like if they asked, what's the weather, then you can find the intent that has to do with the weather and you can find out that information and serve it back up to them. That intent-based system took some time because you'd have to build out dozens and dozens of intents. And so then when we became familiar with Dialogflow, I actually worked with a data scientist to create our own fine-tuned proprietary version of BERT, which is the technology that underlies that. We played around with uh, GPT-3, you know, a couple years ago, and that was pretty impressive, but not as impressive as November of last year. Oh, something, wasn't it? Amazing.
0: Yeah. How do you see the impact of everybody's talking about it, we might as well talk about it as well. Chat GPT or GPT-4.0 or generative AI, this emergence of this super technology platform. Where do you see it going in the in the in the legal space for for lawyers?
1: Well, for lawyers, I think it's fortuitous that it's a language model, and we work with language all all day long. So the combination of those two things means that we can draft things a lot faster, and not just a lot faster in terms of document automation. It's not just mechanical automation. It's also giving you insights. One metaphor I like to use when I talk to people about ChatGPT is that it gets rid of the blank page problem by giving you essentially like a lump of clay to start with. And once you have that lump of clay, all these questions come to mind. Do I want to make a vase out of it? Do I want to make a, you know, a little cowboy? Do I want to glaze it? Do I want to color it? All of these different issues come up because you have something to work with. And that's, that's the genius of generative AI is it gives you something to work with and you can get to the result that you want so much more quickly. So I think, I think it's a great productivity tool. It can give us insights in a lot of different ways by arguing counterpoints for us and just making our ability to engage with the practice of law that much easier.
0: Yeah, it's been my experience as well. Talk to us a little bit about some of the risks associated with it, some of the limitations of the technology.
1: Sure. So the number one thing, and I've, I've gone to a lot of panels and a lot of webinars and given them myself, and the number one thing is that it BSes sometimes. It, it makes stuff up.
0: Yes, it does.
1: Yeah. Uh, Mark Palmer, by the way, had a wonderful tweet that was—it went viral, which for legal tech stuff is pretty amazing. It was like ninety-two thousand views or something like that, where he showed some citations that were wrong. They were made up by ChatGPT, and I'll give Dazza Greenwood um, credit for this. He he, turned, <laughs> he coined the term "hallucitation." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one, which is just perfect. So there is that. But I would point out that that's when you use the bare consumer-facing model, ChatGPT. And it never was the the intent of OpenAI to make ChatGPT an oracle. It, It was never its intent for it to be, I'm assuming here, I obviously have not spoken with Sam Altman, but you could tell from what they put together, it's a large language model. It's not intended to be a knowledge tool. It was trained against a ton of information, but that doesn't mean that it was built to provide you with accurate answers. It tries to, but sometimes in its function of learning more it has to provide you with an answer that could be wrong because it needs to learn from it. The big difference and the big leap in terms of using it for lawyers is that when you connect that technology, when you connect this language model to accurate information, like we integrate with the Harvard Case Law Project and we're drawing from their database of close to seven million US federal and state cases, it does an amazing job of providing thoroughly accurate responses because it's using a source of truth, and you're also directing it to narrow its focus to only focus on that database.
0: Is that the secret sauce behind Is Lawdroid using generative AI now in its product, and is that how you've solved the hallucination problem?
1: Correct. So after November, we added a layer of OpenAI to the entire platform, and I was so thrilled with how it was working on our existing platform. The existing platform is called Lawdroid Builder, and Lawdroid Builder is a no-code, automation platform where you could build chatbots. That works so well that we used our existing builder platform to create an AI legal assistant, which is Copilot. And it's Copilot that we launched in January, which can help lawyers to be more productive, do some basic legal research, summarization, grammar check, brainstorming, and drafting.
0: Go a little deeper on Copilot because I've been on the website. I've, I've looked at it. It looks, I haven't seen a demo but it looks really interesting. What are the key benefits people get from using Copilot and who's the market?
1: So the market for Copilot are solo, small and medium firms, because that kind of reflects my experience and what I understand lawyers need to do their job at a small or medium firm. It helps lawyers to get work done more quickly, to have more uh, insights as to how to do it better and combines a lot of different skills into one platform. So you have basic legal research, but it's not only a legal research tool. It could be used for, for the research to not only pull up cases that are relevant, but we added a feature where it could actually brief cases. Really? Yeah, it ingests, it takes in the case, and it runs it against a series of prompts that I created where it outputs the facts, the holding, the procedural history, the reasoning, everything about a case dynamically, and with something like that, any attorney can really jump into the meat of the case quickly without having to do all of that work themselves. And because, again, it's drawing from a source of truth, it's extremely accurate in uh, the information that it provides. And that's one feature of LawDroid Copilot. It also does summarization, grammar check. It translates against six different languages right now and you could draft emails and letters. And we're in research beta. So this is what we have so far. We're also empowering lawyers to upload their own documents and be able to search against that, draft new documents based on old documents. And um, it's a very exciting time. And we have about 175 users right now and over 800 people on our wait list to get on to use the system.
0: Oh, that's awesome. The publicity around ChatGPT had to help as it's gotten consciousness raised
1: about the importance of these tools. For sure, and I think the competition is great too, because it's helping to get the word out about how this stuff works and how it could be useful.
0: How do you deal with the concerns lawyers have? You talked about lawyers can put their documents on the system and draw from that client base. How do you deal with the security, confidentiality issues associated with that?
1: So in some ways, The uh, security and confidentiality issues are the same as they've always been. In using the cloud, for example, if anyone uses Clio or any similar type of CRM or Box or Dropbox, they're already putting their files in the cloud. We use similar technology to store information. We also have a vector database, which is where we take the text from the documents and we translate them into numbers that machine learning can understand. And so it's just a different type of database that we have, but it has the same level of security as existing databases and uh, repositories for files. So we do the best that we can and we take reasonable efforts to secure it.
0: Nothing's ever perfect, is it?
1: No. And the example I like to use for lawyers is when they insist on perfection and when they insist on it being absolutely impregnable, you know, is that also true with your office? Can I just kick the door in and take your files if I wanted to? (laughs)
0: That's a a good analogy.
1: Yeah, I mean, what the, the ethics rules require of us is that we take reasonable steps to ensure the privacy and security of our client files. We do that by putting a lock on the door. We do that in the virtual world by using passwords, usernames, SSL certificates, encrypting data when it's in transit and when it's at rest. Those are the ways that we take reasonable precautions. It doesn't mean that it'll never get hacked In fact, we just saw that the ABA itself got hacked, but you take the measures that you can to prevent it from happening. And if it does happen, that you have protocols to deal with that.
0: Right. So take me out uh, a couple of years. Where do you see LawDroid being in a couple of years? Obviously you want to deal with the 800 individuals or law firms on your wait list. You're swapped with opportunities now, but where do you see the evolution of the product going?
1: The way I see LawDroid Copilot evolving over time is as a platform that gives access to multiple different services within one. What do I mean by that? Right now, if you wanted to get files at the state level, you might use a company like Trellis. And uh, you know Trellis has a wonderful database of state filings, motions, anything you could think of that's been filed with a the court, they have access to, and they also have metadata about it. Then you have something like the Harvard Case Law Project, which has primary law, Court opinions, and they have their own bucket of that information. And then yet another source might be PACER, where you can get federal documents. Now, the thing is that it's human nature that you don't want to be drawn in several different directions to have to get what you need. If you have one platform that you can ask for things and get them, that's all the better. And that's the very nature of an AI legal assistant like Copilot, is that it provides one platform where you could plug in these different sources of information and get it in one spot. And so the future of AI, I think, is gonna be this unification where you have all of these different sources of information on the background and all of these different technology vendors, but that they're unified within one platform that provides an easy interface to get access to it.
0: Awesome, awesome. So let me change topics just a little bit. You're also a co-founder of an organization called American Legal Technology.
1: Yeah, I don't have enough on my plate, so <laughs>
0: I was going to say one uh, well, of the questions I was going to ask is where do you find the time? But we'll skip over that one. Tell us about uh, American Legal Technology.
1: So the American Legal Technology Awards, I founded with a couple of friends of mine, uh, Patrick Palace in Cat Moon. Patrick Palace has a uh, workers' compensation practice in Tacoma, Washington. and Cat Moon is a professor of law at Vanderbilt. She's great. Yeah, she's wonderful. In fact, I just had dinner dinner with her a couple nights ago because she. Uh, was visiting Vancouver. But it was through our shared love of this community, of this legal tech community, which has been good to all of us, in that the people that are involved in the legal tech community, it's a sharing community where we try to move the needle to help more people have greater access and to also help lawyers to be able to work at the top of their license. And so it was through that love, that shared community, that we put these awards together to recognize people that are trying to do that and they're trying to do the best that they can. And um, there hadn't existed at the time something that brought all of that together for various different categories from access to justice, to technology, to enterprise and, you know, even in-house counsel. And so we put that all together with the idea that if we could have like the Oscars of legal tech or legal innovation, that would be a wonderful thing and we could all get together and, and celebrate.
0: Oh, that's awesome. For our listeners, I'll refer you to an article you posted on LinkedIn entitled uh, American Legal Technology Predictions for 2023, where you drew on just some of the, it's an all-star cast of legal tech people who are predicting what's going to happen in the industry. As I said, it's an all-star cast uh, that you've, you've put together.
1: One thing I just need to add is that I need to give a lot of credit to the amazing judges that we have every year that have come to support us and to volunteer their time, to give you know, their insight as to these new innovations and uh, candidates for, for awards. They are some of the cream of the crop in uh, legal tech and innovation, and I'm so so proud to work with them.
0: And they're amazingly generous with their time, aren't they?
1: Yeah, <laughs> especially when we get you know, down to the couple of weeks where we just need to go through all of the different uh, nominees and, and figure it out. Yeah, I am just so, so grateful.
0: You know, one of the wonderful things about the evolution of legal tech is that this must be a very hard job judging because there's so much interesting work going on in this space. I, will, I don't know that I would have said that 20 years ago or 15 years ago, but you must find it to be a real challenge to pick the winners.
1: There certainly are a lot. We had over 200 nomina- nominations last year. Wow. And at the time we had 24 judges, this year we have 27. And so going through all of the applications takes time. And the benefit of it, though, is we, we get a bird's eye view of all of the uh, innovation that's happening in the space through the, the nominations that, we, that are submitted. So um, the judges actually w- work on, on that process. I and the other co-founders, we, we don't actually do any judging just to have that distance to be able to do the work that we do, which is to keep people interested in the platform of the awards and to get more people involved.
0: Oh, that's fair. I know we've, uh, we've, we've hit our time, but l- let me ask you one last question, which is, what are you seeing out there in the world of legal tech that's got you excited and looking forward
1: to the awards? Well, I think, <laughs> I mean, what, I, what I'm excited about is um, everything that's happening with AI. I mean, personally, uh, I'm involved with that. Uh, by the way, I, I I can never be a nominee, uh, so that's off. The table. I would assume that goes without
0: yeah. saying. I assume that,
1: <laughs> yeah. But there are so many um, great companies and deep thinkers in this area that are working on their own solutions to you know making work easier and life better for lawyers using AI, and so. You know, my personal bias is to be extremely interested in what they're doing and hoping to see more of that. And hopefully, we'll see some nominations.
0: I'm sure you will. It's, if I recall, it's uh, in October.
1: That's right. It's going to be on October 8th, which is going to be the Sunday before ClioCon starts. And uh, Clio is our headline sponsor and has been so generous in coordinating that we have these awards right before ClioCon. And uh, we have other great sponsors too, like Aura Legal, GNGF and uh, also law pay in my case.
0: Well, that's great. It'll be a wonderful event. Tom, thanks so much for joining us. I really appreciate your insights and your time today. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Stephen. It's been an honor.
0: Thanks for listening to Pioneers and Pathfinders. Be sure to visit thepioneerpodcast.com for show notes and more episodes. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform.